I woke up early this morning. I began praying for you and praying for the service. And, and I left a lot earlier than normal this morning and, and told Karen, says, man, I'm just going to get there. And I'm just going to rewrite the whole thing. And because uh, I just felt like uh, God has um, a special word uh, this morning. Because never forget, even though, even though we have three services, we have three different groups of people with different needs, with a different request, with different background, all that comes. And so we try to the very best of our ability. Uh, we don't script. Of course, we have a plan, and of course, we have an outline. Uh, but we don't try to script what we're going to do here uh, every morning. And so, uh, so thank you for your prayers. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, we have... And we just got a lot of work to do today, and we're going to try to get all the way through uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're looking at this issue about uh, when God rebuilds a life, how God rebuilds a life, the steps that we go through. And listen, this morning, this is a real simple sermon. This, the fact is, it's just, uh, it's, it's one word points, and so I think they felt sorry for me, so they added some words around that. So your outline and your bulletin may have more. In my mind, it's just one word. And, uh, you know, when God rebuilt, let's just do, when God re- began rebuilding my life in the 80s, now Psalms 34 became very, very important to me. And, and, and verse 21 says, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. The Lord buys, buys back. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. And none of those who take refuge will ever be condemned. And that's just a huge promise to understand that it is the Lord who redeems. It is the Lord who who buys back. And so this morning we're going to go through Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're going to look at this issue just a little bit deeper. Last week we started out in chapter 1. And we looked at the, uh, at the commitment because before God can rebuild a life, before God can rebuild your life or rebuild the life of someone around you, it begins with a commitment. You have to make a commitment to allow your life to rebuild. And then the second step of that is the same as any building project. It's, it's to lay in the foundation. Engineers will tell you that the foundation, the depth of the foundation, the strength of the de- uh, foundation determines the structure, the security, the safety, the height how big a structure can be built. It's all dependent upon the foundation for it to stand. And so today we're going to start laying out the groundwork as we walk through these steps each week about how God rebuilds life. And we're going to look at this issue of just building or laying a foundation in your life so that your life or maybe the lives of others around you um, can be rebuilt. And remember, we started out last week, and, and you know, Nehemiah is about a group of people that are rebuilding the wall, but it's much deeper than that. The principles really is not about rebuilding a wall. It's God used a wall in their life to rebuild the lives of people. The Jewish people had walked away from God. They'd become unfaithful, if you will. And, but he still referred to them as his children. Doesn't that give you and I good news this morning? That even when we're disobedient, even when we walk away... That we're still, and we're still his. And so, it's more than rebuilding the wall. It's rebuilding the lives of people from unfaithfulness to faithfulness. Now, there's three simple principles that we'll just go through. And and for me, it's just one word. It's patience, plan, and people. That's what we need. We're going to go back through these individually so that you understand. We'll unpack them a little bit as we go through Nehemiah chapter 2. But there's three things that have to be in place. Two out of three isn't enough. Fact is, when you look in Scripture and you look at how God rebuilds the lives of people here in Nehemiah chapter 2, you realize that all three had to be in place. There had to be patience. 
there had to be a plan and there had to be people. Listen, there's no such thing as long range or Christianity. I just need to tell you this morning that God only rebuilds lives in community. That's why the local church is so important. That's why coming in contact with other believers and, bu- and building relationships with, so, with other people. He always builds it. And I know when people go through hurt, you want to isolate. And some of you have been isolated for years and wondered why there's no healing in your life. It's because God only rebuilds lives in the midst of community. So let's walk through these three principles together this morning. The first one is this. If you're going to lay the foundation for rebuilding your life, then there has to be, there has to be patience in your life. Let me ask you, does patience, does waiting come easy for you? If you're like me, it doesn't. Fact is, here's an interesting thing about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, God gave Nehemiah the plan to rebuild the wall. He called him to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah chapter 1 happened four months before Nehemiah chapter 2. So four months has taken place since we last met in Nehemiah's life. Now here's the interesting thing. When Nehemiah realized what God was asking him to do, the first thing Nehemiah did, he waited. Now, Nehemiah's type A. Nehemiah is a leader of leaders. Two men had come before Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. Wall had been down 141 years. Both of those guys failed. Both of those guys couldn't do it. Not Nehemiah. He did in 52 days what others had tried the last 141 years. Now, Nehemiah is intense. Nehemiah is type A. Nehemiah is a people person. Nehemiah understands leadership. And when you look at his life, you realize that waiting did not come easy to him. Listen. Passionate people are not patient people at all. And it doesn't come natural really to any of us. But if you want to rebuild a life, if you want to do something great for God, waiting, patience is a part of it. Now, now we look at waiting as passive. Waiting's not passive. Waiting is not doing nothing. Waiting is it's active. It's engaging in prayer. It may be making some plans. Waiting is not passive. I mean, when God called us to, to plant uh, Fellowship of the Rockies here in Pueblo, Colorado, that was in early 1994 when he first called us to. It was almost a year later, March of 1995. We came in February, started public services in March, our core group training in March. Man, a lot of months had passed. But it wasn't like waiting, doing nothing. Well, we began to pray. We began to seek God about what type of church, what vision that he had for Pueblo, Colorado. Do you realize in that period, and I've told this story, maybe you're new and maybe you've never heard this story. Do you realize it was in that period that God stirred our hearts and let us know that without prayer you will fail? And so we bought from, from a, a U.S. West, I think, at the time, we bought a Pueblo phone book, had it delivered to us, and, I th- and we had it delivered to us, and we took and we broke the binder off of it, we ripped out all the residence pages, and we sent it to well over 100, 200 churches across America that we knew had a prayer, a prayer room, and they were committed to prayer, and we asked them that would you take and pray by name for every individual in this phone book, and pray two prayers. If they don't know Christ, you pray that they would come to know Christ and that God would lead them, whether Fellowship of the Rockies is the right place or not, that God would lead them to a Bible-believing church. 
And then if they, if they do know Christ and they are a believer, man, pray for them that they would stay faithful in their local church and get into leadership and do everything they can to reach this community. Do you realize before we came, every person was prayed for in this community by name? And when we look at all the church growth principles that we used, I still believe that was the most important, critical principle that we did. Watch this. In Acts chapter 2, the church was birthed, okay? The New Testament church was birthed. It was birthed not by doing, but by waiting. This is huge. It wasn't birthed by doing. Remember the scripture says that they were told to wait until the Holy Spirit. See, waiting was not passive. Waiting is not passive. Waiting is very active. I mean, they were in the upper room. Men and women, about 120 people joined in that room. And they were praying and they were seeking God and they were they were pouring through scripture and they were drawing close to him and they were building community and they were praying together and they were praying for one another listen the new testament church was not birthed by doing but by waiting and man that is so foreign to us because we're americans we're type a we're driven we're passionate but can i tell you this Waiting patience is the most critical thing in doing something for God or rebuilding a life. Because when we're impatient, we miss God and we miss the people around us. Because it's about our schedule, our task, our drivenness. This last week, uh, Chad and I uh, were on the north side near CSU Pueblo and and so we were there and, and got back in my truck and, and uh, I get in my truck and I look at my dashboard and say, oh no. I turned to Chad and I said, Chad, we are going to run out of gas. And so Chad, very sarcastically, I might add, uh, said, nice, nice. <laughs> and so, so I said it, I, that's true. The, uh, we'll talk later. <laughs> that's true. Well, from my perspective, anyway, uh, we'll move on. Uh, and so I said, we're running out of gas. There's, and so, so, I, so he says, hey, let's just, let's, let's just get as far as we can. So we're up near CSU Pueblo. So I says, ah, we'll go down Bonfort. And so, uh, so we went through the light uh, there, at, you know, 47, and we're heading south on Bonfort. We stop at the, the first light. We're, we're, we're there, and, you know, we're visiting. And so it turns green. I hit the gas. The truck lunges and dies. And so Chad's like, well, that's all there is. And I'm like, I'm thinking, hello, Dwayne. I mean, we're about ready to interrupt Dwayne's day. And so, and so, but I started rolling a little bit. And so we're just creeping through the intersection. Chad's like, hey, why don't you just pull over here? And so I start doing that. And, but I notice we're gaining speed. And, and, and so Chad, being a worship leader, he knew what to do. He started singing, Jesus, take the wheel. And so... <laughs> And he was like singing it as loud as he could. And the louder he sang it, the faster we went. No, I actually made that part up. <laughs> but we did, we did run out of gas. <laughs> and so, well, I'm going to tell you this. And so we're rolling and the car picks up in speed. And so we're like, well, let's just see how far we can get. 
you know what? I don't know if you know this. Bonfort is all downhill going south. And so we're like gaining speed. We're, you know, we're going 36 miles an hour down Bonfort. Now, when, when you're in the moment, you don't think, oh, no, I got power steering, power brakes. I may not have brakes, may not have steering. But you don't care because you're making good time, right? And so, <laughs> so, so, and if you know anything about Bonfort, we got two lights we got to go through before the, cell, the shell station on our right, thank goodness. And so we blew through two lights. They were green. Uh, we blew through two lights, no cars in front of us, never tapped the brakes until, yeah, until we went through the last light and had to make the right into the shell station. And I was screaming like a girl when I hit, I hit, I'm like, oh my, no. And so I tapped the brakes and I screamed and Chad's reaching over. We turn in, we were in stealth mode. They didn't even hear us coming. We went right up to the gas station. We stopped, we're high-fiving, we're screaming, we're yelling. I'm thinking, you know what? This is the greatest running out of gas story I have ever had. And I've had a lot. And I... I mean, I, I'm experienced at this stuff. And so, but, but let me just tell you, let me tell you, I mean, it was a great story and we're like celebrating everything, but you know what? We were along for the ride and all we could do was just hang on and, and we had to wait and we had to be patient so some lights turned green and cars out of our way and, you know, and, and all that other stuff. And the same is true in life. Waiting is not passive. Waiting, there are... Waiting is not passive. Waiting is active. Do you realize in transitions in my life, God has done more in the period of waiting. Waiting, listen, waiting in your life and my life is when you and I display our trust in God. The reason we don't wait, the reason we're impatient, we trust more in self than we do in him. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what the scripture says as we walk through this and... and uh, we unpack this. Uh, in the month of Nisan, now when we left off, it was the month of Chislev, which four months had taken place, that's important. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I, now it's very personal, this is Nehemiah's life journal, we're peering over his shoulder, we're getting to read from a person that God rebuilt his life, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Now listen, this is a bad deal for a cupbearer to be sad in the presence of the king. Fact is, it was against the rules. It was against the law. You could be put to death if you ever came before the king and you were ever depressed and you were ever sad. You could, and so that's why that's in here. Nehemiah says, you know what? In my whole career, Nehemiah was very prominent. Nehemiah had, had the, se the second best job in the world. He, he was like vice president, okay? But just to get a, a glimpse of waiting and what he was going through, if you have your Bibles, go to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. Watch this. I, I just want to read it. This is his prayer. Four months earlier, okay? Got to set the context. Four months earlier, Nehemiah prays this. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in your name. Watch this. And give success to your servant today. That's four months ago. And give success to your servant today. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man, the king. Four months ago, Nehemiah prays, God, give me success today. But guess what? Today was not the right day. It wasn't the right day. 
And Nehemiah didn't become discouraged because God didn't answer that prayer on his time frame. Because God didn't answer that prayer that day. See, when we look at this, we can see just the, the importance of just the real relationship with God. And we just, this is for free. What? There, there are two exodus in the Old Testament. And the first was Moses. And Moses led the children of Israel out. There were burning bushes parting to the Red Sea, you know, fire and manna from heaven. There was one miracle after another. You see all the miracles. That was the first exodus. That's the one that we talk about, we brag about, because parting the Red Sea and all the miracles. Nehemiah leads another exodus. No miracles. None. Never mistake the activity of God in your life or the inactivity of God in your life because there aren't miracles. Because it doesn't appear that he's doing. God is at work in your life. God was at work in Nehemiah's life even when there wasn't any visible evidence. Please understand that. Whether you realize it, whether you see it or not. God is at work in your life now. I don't care where you're at. I don't care whether you agree with that statement or disagree with that statement. God is at work in your life. He is at work in your life today. He'll be in your work in, in, in work in your life tomorrow. And he'll be at work in your life the following day, regardless of miracles, regardless of what you see. And Nehemiah understood that. And so, so you have to ask yourself the question, was it the sovereignty of God or the hard work of Nehemiah that allowed the wall to be rebuilt? That's a huge theological question that a lot of theologians look at. I'm going to answer that for you. The answer is this, yes. Aren't you glad I cleared that up? <laughs> without the sovereignty of God, without God working in Nehemiah's life, the wall could have never been rebuilt. Without Nehemiah being obedient to what God had called him to do, to walk with him, to trust him, the wall could have never been rebuilt. Could have never been rebuilt. Now, Nehemiah understood who the credit went to. But you just got to understand this morning. Power comes in your life and power comes in my life. When we align ourselves with the plan and the sovereignty of God. Because unless he moves, a life cannot be rebuilt. And unless we become obedient to his plan... Our life cannot be rebuilt. Don't forget what we learned last week. Discipline, not desire, determines a man's destiny. It's not your desire to, get, to rebuild your life. It's not your desire to have that relationship you've always dreamed of. It's not your desire alone. Desire is good, and you need that desire. God gave you those good desires. But it's not enough. You want to know your destiny? Don't look at your desires. Look at your discipline. What are you putting in place? Are you disciplining your life right now? And Nehemiah understood this, and he understood these, these, these principles. And, 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 uh, and watch this. Let's go on. And, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? And Nehemiah responds, this is, this is nothing but sadness of my heart. 
king. I don't have the flu. I don't have food poisoning. I, I don't have allergies. I'm telling you, it is not physical. It is emotional. It is spiritual. My heart is broken. Then I, Nehemiah said, then I was very much afraid. In the Hebrew, this means terrified. This means petrified. This means with so much fear that you are almost paralyzed in your life. Isn't that good news to me and you? Nehemiah, type A, strong leader, man's man. He's going to rebuild a wall in 52 days that it took others 141 years to, to never be able to successfully do. And he is saying, I'm not just concerned. I'm not just a little bit afraid. But I am very afraid. Why? He is afraid of talking to the king. The, the, the king, if the cupbearer ever brought anything to the king that the king did not like or brought him down or depressed him, king could have him killed without, within it, without any ramifications. The fact is, it was legal. Nehemiah knew who he was talking to. Nehemiah knew that this man was a pagan king. Nehemiah understood that unless God changes this man's heart, I'm not going to get to do what God has called me to do. Nehemiah was afraid of talking to the king. Oh, the same way that we're afraid of having those tough conversations with a husband, a wife, a child, a friend who may not know Christ. Or like we may be afraid of talking to that individual that we know there's been something going on in their life for a long time and it needs to change. Listen, let me tell you something. Biblical principle. Boldness is never given until the time of need. Boldness is never given. Grace is never given until the time of need. That's why a lot of people will talk and say, man, if I ever went through that, if I ever went through what you're going through, I'd never be able to do it. I, I don't know how you're doing it. And then you go through it and you realize, well, I, I, I can do this. Grace is never given. Boldness. You know when boldness comes? When you're willing to step out. Listen, it's okay to have fear. God calls you to do some big stuff in your life. You will have fear. You just will. It's just part of it. But fear can never paralyze us. Listen, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to, to step forward, to move forward in the midst of fear. You ever had fear talking to someone? And you finally started that conversation, and all of a sudden this boldness came. This this, this, this this principle. Fear is something that we'll all go through, but it cannot be something that stops us. Verse three. And so I said to the king, "Let the king live forever." Great answer, you know. And me too. <laughs> Why should my not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves? lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah is not concerned about himself. Nehemiah has the greatest job in their time. He has a cush job. He's worried that people around him are broken or hurting. It's not about Nehemiah. He he sees the need of people around him. If we're not careful, we'll confuse the American dream with the gospel. 
It's not the gospel. If we're not careful, we live in a country of great prosperity. And if we're not careful, we'll make the American dream the gospel. And we won't care about anybody but ourselves. It's our success, it's our happiness, it's our prosperity, it's our schedule, it's our goals. It's won't. Nehemiah wasn't like that. Nehemiah had the greatest and most powerful job known to man at that time other than the king. And Nehemiah is about ready to leave all of that because he's broken for a group of people. The second thing is this, it not only takes patience, but uh, it takes a plan. It takes a plan. Uh, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I, I prayed to God in heaven. It's a good thing to do when you're afraid, right? It's also the greatest scripture about spontaneous prayer there is in the Bible. Nehemiah didn't get weird. Nehemiah says, excuse me, king, got to go off in another room. King, would you bow your heads? We need to pray. Just spontaneous prayer. I mean, he breathed a spontaneous prayer. Listen, let me tell you something. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, uh, there, there, there's a command. Uh, uh, it's an imperative uh, that we're to pray uh, without ceasing. Uh, we're to pray unceasing. Some of your different uh, uh, translations will tell you that. And so we know that that's not continuous prayer because that would be impossible, right? So what does that word mean? Well, the, the Greek word unceasing is the word picture of having a hacking cough. You ever had a hacking cough that you just couldn't get rid of? That, I mean, you, you coughed without, even, without notice sometimes. You coughed without even thinking about it sometimes. It seemed like that you just had this cough that you could not get rid of, and you just kind of always kept going back to that. That's what this is. That we're to be so connected with God that we got this, we got this, we got this prayer life to where we just keep going back to it. We, it's just natural to breathe a silent prayer before him and to him because, man, we know him. Listen, can I tell you this? At a, at a, when you see it in Nehemiah's life. I've seen it in my life. If you pray to the God of heaven and you know that he is great and you know he is above all, he is above everyone, he is above creation, if you pray and connect to the God of heaven, you never have to fear man. Some of you want to get rid of the fear of man about what they say about you, what they think about you. You connect to the God of heaven and you know that he is great and you know that he is overall. Listen, I learned this a long time ago. It is none of my business what people are saying behind my back. And it's none of your business. Some of you want to know. Some of you pry and try to get the information. You get the information and then you're on your heels. You're discouraged. You're destroyed, right? Listen, it's none of your business what people are saying about it. It's none of my business. And I'm telling you, you connect to the God of heaven and you know who he is, that he is overall and he is more powerful. Nehemiah said, I'm going to a king, but I'm communicating to the king. I'm going to the one that may have power, but I am going to connect to the one who has great power. Man, you'll get rid of your fear of man. I'm telling you, I've lived this. And Nehemiah understood that in his life. And so he says, verse 5, And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, 
that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. Man, there is a difference between a call and a send. And Nehemiah understood that. Nehemiah understood, I believe with all my heart, if the king had turned him down, he wouldn't have done it. He would have waited. There are so many people that rush ahead of God. Listen, just because God gives you a call doesn't mean the send is at the same time. There's sometimes that he develops, and I have watched so many people. God puts a burden in their heart, and God gives them a call. And they say, you know what? I'm doing it regardless if anybody thinks it's of God or not. Listen, if God can change the heart of a pagan king, he can change the hearts of those around you that can speak into your life and say, now's the time. You talk about a man that had great trust in him. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, we have no clue in scripture why that's important. There's a lot of theories that the reason the time wasn't right before is because the queen would have been supportive of Nehemiah. Obviously, it's in Scripture. Obviously, it's of some importance, or God would not have recorded it in the Bible for thousands upon thousands of years for us to read. Timing is everything. Ask a trapeze artist. (laughs) (laughs) Life and death. Ask a comedian. Timing is everything. I'm just telling you. And timing is important in God's will of your life. Just because... So many times people get the call from God and they don't stay long enough for the timing and the plan and they run off on their own. So, we'll move on. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? King saying, Nehemiah, you got a plan? Patience, plan. So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him what? When I'd given him a plan. When I'd given him a time. Man, Nehemiah's, that t- waiting is not passive. Waiting is not doing anything. Waiting is very active. It was in that period that Nehemiah came up with a plan and Nehemiah waited until God sent him and Nehemiah waited till the time was right and it was confirmed in the lives of other people. Nehemiah had a plan and you should have a plan as well. Without a plan, people fail. It's biblical. There's some people that get so spiritual that it's just, no, it's just prayer and it's no plan. And the Bible would say something a little bit different. Proverbs 16.9 says this, the heart of man plans his way. But the Lord makes his steps firm is what the NIV says or establishes his steps. You don't think that didn't come at great confirmation to Nehemiah? Nehemiah was afraid to ask the king. And now you see a man of great confidence. Why? Because he knew that it wasn't only his plan, but God was establishing the steps. That's when confidence comes, when you step out and you have boldness and you do what God says. And then all of a sudden, God begins establishing your steps or or answering some prayers. A.W. Tozer said this, Man, pray as it all depends on God and work as it all depends on you. And it takes both. You make plans depending 
on God to answer your prayers and your plan. There are some people that live life without a plan. And they'll say, you know what? I really desire to learn to read the Bible. I'm like, you got a plan? No. That's why we do Life Journal here. It gives you a plan. You read through the Bible in a year, and it teaches you, like Nate did earlier, how to come up with Scripture and how to apply it to your life. I have people that say, you know what? I want good Christian friends. All the friends I have are, 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 are they don't know Christ. They're not a good influence. And I just need some good Christian friends. You got a plan? No. No. I mean, do you, do you get involved in church? Do you get involved in a life group? Do you stay a little bit longer to meet some people to develop? You need a plan. None of these things in your life will ever happen. You want to do some great things for God? You got a plan? Is it just desire, discipline? Not desire determines a man's destiny. And where's your plan in life? If... If God asked you right now, like the king did to Nehemiah, what do you want me to do for you? Would you know? And then you just want to be happy? You just want things to work out? Would you know specifically, this is what I need you to do in my life, and I'm aligning my life with you? Listen, Nehemiah's plan included a process, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors and province beyond the river. He said, king, I need a passport. I need a passport from you to get to Judah. Watch this. And that, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, uh, the keeper of the king's forest. King, I need your Lowe's credit card. I need some lumber. I need some materials. I, he, he's thought through this whole thing. I mean, he was ready when the king said, so many of us, when God gives us a plan or when God gives us a call, we don't plan through it and people shoot holes in it all the time because we're, we're just rattled. Not Nehemiah, that they may be given me the timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king... God is establishing his steps, Nehemiah's steps right now. And the king, watch this, granted me what I asked for. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah knew who the credit goes to. For the good hand of God was given upon me. See, that's the problem with the American dream. If we're not careful, we buy into the American dream so much that we think it's our, in, our ingenuity, our, our leadership ability, our education, our personality, all those gifts. No, Nehemiah understood that the reason that I'm successful, man, God's hand is on me. I mean, he's asking, get this, he is asking a pagan king to finance this. Verse 9, watch this. Then I came to the governors in the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. So I gave them my passport. And the king, now watch this, it's important. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Nehemiah never asked for that. I need a passport, and I need your Lowe's credit card. Nehemiah never asked for that. You get on God's plan, he'll give you what you need in the stuff that you didn't even know you would need. He'll give you what you need and then some. God's sovereign. God knows what you need. 
God knows what you need right now. You get on his plan. God will give you what you need for today, and he'll give you what you need for tomorrow. And, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, now these are the bad guys like, of, uh, of this whole story. Like every time we say their names, we should all go, ooh, you know, like they do in the villain movies. Because they're going to oppose him. Watch this, sorry. Uh, it, and servant heard this. It depleased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now, the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack this deal about how to deal with opposition, how to handle conflict. Because I'm just telling you, you do something for God. You want to rebuild your life. You want to help rebuild the lives of other people. You want to change some things about your life. It will shock you to learn that there will be people that oppose you. There will be people that criticize you. There will be people that come against you. And we see that in these two guys' lives. We don't have time to unpack this this morning. But I'm telling you, you do something for God, opposition will come. The last thing is this. You need patience, you need a plan, and you need people. There is no such thing as long-ranger Christianity. There is no such thing as God bringing healing to an individual outside of community of a church. So I went to Jerusalem there three days. Then I rose in the night. And I, I and a few men with me. He had a life group. He had believers around him that could speak into his life that he trusted. They trusted him. I mean, he's going to talk through some things. He's going to flesh out some things that God had given him to these trusted guys. God, God never brings healing. God never rebuilds someone's life that is outside of community. And I understand some of you have been through some hurt and you've been through some pain. And you isolated years ago and you're still isolated. And God will never heal you. God will never heal you spiritually. God will never heal you emotionally until you are willing to trust again, until you are willing to come into community with others. He always brings healing in community. And I told no one what God had put on, into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Why? He wanted to understand and have a plan. There was no animal with me but the one in which I rode. And so the scripture goes on, and we don't have time to read it this morning, that he went and he rode the whole city. And he looked at the gates. He saw the, 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 the destruction for himself. Listen, a good leader will see it for him or herself. A good leader will not take someone else's word for something. They will get dirty. They will get down in the mix, and they will find out, is it true? Has it been exaggerated? Is it exactly if it's being reported to me? And then verse 17 16, we'll do that. And the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we circle that. You see the trouble we're in? They're in the trouble. People who help others rebuild a life use that word we a lot. We're in this together. We're in this marriage together. We're in this relationship together. We're going to see it through. You see the trouble we're in? And he was very specific. He didn't beat around the bush. So many times we, we, we pull back and, 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 and we don't want to express the trouble we're really in. Specifically, see the trouble we're in. And Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. They knew it was there. Come. What? Let us... I'm going to rebuild your life with you. Healing only comes in community. 
We've got to ask for help, and we've got to come into community with other people. Nehemiah was like, we're in this trouble. We're in it together. We're in a relationship. We're family. Guess what? We'll rebuild this together that we may no longer suffer derision. We know this in sin and disobedience. There always comes shame. There always comes discouragement. There always comes that sense that people are making fun of you. Embarrassment. Nehemiah said, I'll, I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you regardless of what we have to walk through together. You can, you, that's when lives become, begin to change. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. Nehemiah didn't say, I'm going to help you because I'm the smartest person in the world, because I'm really good at it, because I'm talented, I'm type A, I can tell you everything that's wrong with your life. Nehemiah said none of that. Nehemiah says, what gives me credit, the reason I can help you? God's hand is on my life. You ever been around people and you just know God's hand is on that woman's life. God's hand is on that man's life. Nehemiah was one of those guys. And also the words that the king had spoken to me. And watch this. And they said, man, what a great ending to this talk this morning. Let us rebuild the wall. I mean, I mean Nehemiah says, we're in this trouble together. I'm going to rebuild this with you. And then it's their turn to respond. And they says, let us. Let us rebuild the wall. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. It is discipline, not desire, that determines your future. They strengthened their hands. They disciplined their life so God could rebuild their life. Would you bow your heads with me? Now, let me tell you something. This is a real important part of the service. This is a time in a service where we reflect on what God has communicated to us through worship or through his word. And I'm, I'm going to ask for no distractions. I know a lot of times when we end this portion and we stand in worship, there's a lot that kind of want to leave early to beat the crowd out of the parking lot. I am telling you, you may not feel like God has anything for you this morning, but he does. Do not interrupt what God has for another individual. I'm asking that you just hang with us. And some of you this morning need to make some decisions. Some of you, to start rebuilding your life, you need to come to him and you need to surrender your life to him. God, I surrender my life to you. And I'm asking you to help me rebuild my life, come in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me the strength to rebuild my life. There are some of you this morning, and you've been believers, and you may be like the children of Israel, and you may not have been walking as close with God, and there's some stuff going on around you. This morning, you need to say to God, God, let us. I'll do my part if you'll do your part, and he will. I don't know what decision God has for you this morning, but I know this with all of my heart. Our staff knows this this morning. God desires to speak a word into your life and bring you encouragement. What is God? Not what I am saying. What is God communicating to you this morning that he wants you to do today and tomorrow?